0: Welcome to the Parent University podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. My name is Jeff Summers. I'm the high school pastor here at Perimeter and father of four. And I, today we're going to talk a little bit about suffering, so, and how to, how to Really help your kids deal with that or walk through that, and i when I say suffering there's a lot of different kinds um a lot of what I'm thinking when i when I say that though it can be applied to other things is is interpersonal conflict with other people um, though there's a lot of different kinds of suffering that our kids can deal with um, what did you guys have around your table? Does anybody want to share like uh, an experience they had maybe something that was pivotal part of them growing up and um, and what that was like in dealing with suffering growing up something that shaped you maybe no, you don't have to it's okay. They put the tables really far away from each other this today. I don't know why somebody said, Hey well, at least we won't catch each other's colds, so that's good, but uh um one of the things that I'm think, I want you to think through, again, going back, and, and, and one of the reasons I, we like to have you go back and think about your own time as a teenager is for us, and I, I use this illustration a lot, but I kind of think of my brain as like a filing cabinet with all kinds of files, right? You get different files from your whole life, and a lot of us have a dusty file cabinet with the teen years in it. Like we really, whether you enjoyed the teen years or you hated them, you haven't looked in that file in a while, generally speaking, unless you're on Facebook talking to all your old high school friends, okay? If you're not doing that, then the file's been shut for a while, and that's why when your teenager does something that drives you crazy, you don't remember what it was like to be a teenager because you've been a grown-up for a long time. And so you kind of – we look at – that's why we give them that look. I mean, I know there's this look on my face that I give my daughter or my son that's like, really? you know, And I, and I just don't relate to – that because I've been away from it for so long. And so we like you to go back and think, uh, like when you were handling conflict as a teen, were you, did your parents bail you out or did they equip you to deal with what you were facing? That's kind of a lot of where we're going today, this morning, in talking about that. Okay, so I want you to kind of get in that mindset. Did your parents bail you out? Because now we have this term, you probably heard, what's the term about parents who hover over their kids? Helicopter parents, right? And that's a new term. And one of the main reasons that we have even helicopter parenting is this the cell phone. The cell phone has made that possible. Uh, They said kids are actually more connected with their parents than ever before in history. They call it like the longest umbilical cord ever is the cell phone connection. Because even when your kid's in college, if they have a bad day, they can call mom or dad right then and and say what's going on. And we didn't, you know, growing up, we didn't have that ability to do that, right? Often, you had to go find a phone, and then it was long distance, which was really expensive. And then if you did call, your parents might not even be home, right? And so there was no instant connection with your parents to bail you out. But now we got parents calling college professors, right? And parents call in bosses, like people who get out of college, their first job, if they have a conflict with that boss, the parent calls the boss. That's not okay. (laughs) That's kind of weird, really. Like if you're like, oh, well, yeah, I understand. No, no, that's not a good thing. All right, so we're going to talk more about that. Um, But before we get into that, um, my lovely wife, Cammie, is going to come and um, speak to us a little bit, spend a little time in confession. So we're going to let her take over here.
1: Good morning. Y'all are all so spread out. Um, Yes, I'm Kami Summers, and um, I come and I confess to y'all because uh, Jeff stands up here and he says, this is how you should do it. And I, after watching him for about a year, I said, That's not what it looks like in our house, (laughs) and they need to know that, and they need to know how hard it is, that that you're not alone in how hard it is to be the parent of a teen, and I'm really bad at it, so bad at it that God put a professional in my house to counsel me (laughs) in the journey. So um, my name is Kami Summers, and I'm the mother of a teen, and it's been two months since my last confession. Um, I can say, thankfully, that the past eight weeks have been relatively good. I do see progress in my parenting of a teen. Um, I don't think, I was trying to think about it, I don't think I made her cry more than once. I don't think. I could be wrong. Don't ask her, because she might say I did. But I don't remember making her cry more than once. So, yay, me, Um, I wanted to come today and I wanted to share with you about a great parenting book that I've recently read. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have y'all read it? Okay. It's a book, and you guys might think it's a crazy idea that this would be a parenting book because it's a book written by Dale Carnegie in the 1920s to businessmen. But And I read it because the servant team um, is going through it. And Jeff said, hey, this is a really good book. So I started reading it. And I wanted to share with you because I want to influence my daughter. I don't want to nag her. I want to influence her. And this has some great um, strategies for that. However, um, I hardly got past the first two chapters before I really felt convicted Um, And that's part of what I wanted to share with you. Um, If you only read part of it, read the first two chapters, because the first chapter is basically about being stingy with criticism. Carnegie says, Criticism is futile because it puts a person on the defensive and usually makes him strive to justify himself. Criticism is dangerous because it wounds a person's precious pride, hurts his sense of importance, and arouses resentment. Have you ever seen that in your child in response? Defensiveness, resentment, is that familiar? (laughs) It's way too familiar to me. Um, And he goes on to assert that criticism doesn't bring about the change in another. It doesn't ever really bring about a change in another, but it negatively affects relationships. And his ideas made me really examine my parenting strategies with my teenager. Because as I've said before, parenting a teen is so different than parenting my 8-year-old or my 5-year-old. My teenagers are becoming people <laughs> with opinions and ideas, and they take a different tact. And so his, I, it, it, he just made me wonder if my, if my methods are actually bringing about the exact opposite of what I want. If my badgering Tirza to be responsible is actually evoking rebellion in her to make her be irresponsible, am I shooting myself in the foot by how I'm parenting? In the end, Carnegie encourages us to try to understand instead of condemning. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that one. It takes way more energy to try and understand my teen than it does to lecture her. Um, so it's easier said than done. The second chapter, Carnegie says, be hearty in your approbation." That's a word from the 1920s, I'm sure. And lavish in your praise. And people will cherish your words and treasure them and repeat them over a lifetime. Repeat them years after you have forgotten them. It's hard to imagine my daughter treasuring my words. I'd be happy if she'd just listen to me. (laughs) But it makes me question, are the words I'm saying worthy of being held on to? Do I call out God's glory in her? So, I want to confess to you that instead of being lavish in my praise and stingy with my criticism, I am lavish in my criticism and stingy in my praise. <laughs> praise is harder for me to voice, and I'm not sure why. I've been trying to figure it out. I, I don't want my kids to do things for the wrong reasons, and I don't want them to be dependent on my praise or my feedback. I want them to do things because they're the right things to do. And when she does the right things, I feel like my approval is known or taken for granted, and it doesn't need to be said. But if Carnegie is right when he says appreciation is the legal tender all souls enjoy, why am I really holding it back? Am I afraid my praise is indulgent or that by offering it, I'll give her license? This past week, Tirza was in the Duluth production of The Little Mermaid, and I always dread production weeks because they're kind of a nightmare, and they call them drama queens for a reason. There's a lot of drama, and last year around play time, Tirza and I were at each other's throats constantly, and so this year in preparation, I said, oh, I'm not going to be drawn into that this year. I'm not going to be drawn into conflict. I'm not going to address things in the moment. I'm just going to write it all down and deal with it later. Because I don't want... She's tired. It's lots of homework. It's late night rehearsals. And it's not her best. And the only time I get to see her is just for a little bitty bit of time. And so I'm just going to wait and talk to her about it after the play is over. And so I have been just letting things happen. The lights were left on in the basement. I didn't say a word. Glasses were all over, quiet as a mouse. I didn't talk to her about the science progress report that I got from her teacher. I didn't talk to her about how loud the television was and how she's going to ruin the television if she keeps it up at 60 decibels. But I wrote it all down on my list. And tonight, after production is over, I had every intention of going through it and saying, this is unacceptable, unacceptable, unacceptable. You need to change this. Don't do this. Don't forget this. And if you do this, the consequence is that because that's what I love to do. And so, but she didn't know any of that was coming. And so Friday, she said to me, thank you. You've been so great this week. Thank you so much. And I had to kind of... Reveal a little bit of my heart because I said, oh, you didn't get a free pass this week. We're going to talk about things, but we're going to wait and talk about them when it's not so busy and crazy. And you saw her little face just fell. And she just looked at me and she goes, can't you just let some things go? At the time, I assured her that she wasn't off the hook. But her words haunt me. Can't you just let some things go? I confess to you I don't want to let them go. But what if Carnegie is right? What if my default is wrong and criticism isn't the way to change my team? What if after an intense week of rehearsals and lack of sleep, the currency her soul longs for is a deposit of praise What if she needs to hear me say, great job, instead of pulling out my list like Santa Claus's that could just roll out the door? I confess it's hard to me. It's hard to show grace, to let things go, to lavish her with praise that I write on my list with invisible ink. When the neon list of shortcomings calls for attention, I think what I liked most about Carnegie's book was what wasn't written in it. Much of what he wrote is practical and it's entertaining, but it also has spiritual implications that he fails to point out. You see, we were created in the image of God to be in relationship with a holy God, and sin changed all that because it changed us. Yet we continue to long for holiness and perfection. I don't want my daughter to be a sinner. And I think sometimes, I think I can change her. I mean, I know I can't, but sometimes I act as if it's my job as her mama to point out all her flaws so that she can fix them. But God doesn't do that with the children he loves. He doesn't show me all my sin at once or give me a daily progress report of my sanctification. In fact, the work of Jesus protects me from the condemnation my sin deserves. And each day he lovingly guides me, showing me only a glimpse of the depth of my sin revealing my transgressions incrementally so I'm not overwhelmed. And God lavishes me with encouragement. He showers me with the assurance of his steadfast love, his unending mercy, and his desire for me to know him deeply. He always anchors conviction in the promise of of love that is unconditional, and steadfast in a, con- in a covenant in a covenant. And that's how I want to be with my daughter. I don't want to cover my child with gold stars of empty flattery or beat her up with gray dots of criticism. I want to encourage her, always pointing her to the example of who she can be in Christ. As I end my confession, I want to share with you a few questions that I've been pondering. I don't have the answers, but I want to share them with you. What does grace look like with my team? How do I move from directing to influencing her in a way that honors the Lord? And finally... How can I follow the example of my heavenly father by being lavish in my encouragement and stingy with my condemnation? I'm going to pray for us. Dear Lord, we confess that it is often easier for us to condemn than to praise. We need you to transform us take us from the default of criticism and fill us with encouragement so that we can show our children your love. Help us to know when to let things go, not because we are indulgent or too lazy to respond, but because we know you are at work in the hearts of our teens, even when we don't see you. Grow our faith as we see your presence in our children. And help us to trust you. We love you, Lord. Amen.
0: Thanks for that. You know, she always gives me a lot more credit. She says that I'm the professional, which I suppose that I am. Professional youth guy. But at the same time, everything that we teach, everything that I do is something that we've discussed Over and over again, and gone through, and worked in and out, and Parent U doesn't happen without Cammie's insight in the things that I teach or the things that uh, that make its way into Parent University. So, as we enter into this idea of uh, of suffering, how, how did how did this come about? You know, I think Suzanne and I were talking in the office a few weeks ago, and and really just trying to say what where are we going to go with Parent U for this week? And she was relaying to me just different crazy things that she's seen over the years at her last church. Um, Parents getting involved in like girl drama that happens, high school girl drama, mean girl drama, right, at schools where like two dads gotten like a fist fight, you know, and the police are coming and assault charges and stuff, all from mean girl drama that spilled over not just from in with the students, but up into their parents. And people are calling police, or people are changing schools, or, uh, you know, these kinds of things happen regularly, and it's easy for us as parents to get drawn in to that thing, to, to the, the conflict that our kids are having. Um, so in getting ready for this, it's interesting. We, uh, this last week, we had a movie night on the lawn, out here, and we watched the movie Elf with high school students, had about 120 students to see the movie Elf, and many of you have seen that movie, and one of the most amazing things to me about that particular film is Will Ferrell, just his utter abandon that he takes the innocence of, I mean, he's in character the whole time, and you see, when I, when the movie, the first time I saw it, I remember thinking how cheesy he seemed, but then he just never gets out of that, right? He's got this childlike innocence the whole way through the film, and it's beautiful, but you can't help, especially when he gets to New York City the first time, how much he is confronted with people that are just downright mean, right? Uh, The cold, harsh reality of real life hits this innocent innocence, and people are just mean, and situations are hard and difficult, and he enters into that, right? Elf enters into those, those things. Buddy the Elf, and we, we, wanted, we see that. We enter into life, and it's hard, and you have to deal with mean people, and there's conflict, and you have horrible situations. And so it's a part of life, and we can't protect our kids from that. We have to enter into it. Um, there's a few verses from a, a pretty wise guy named Solomon from Ecclesiastes. Uh, ver- chapter 7 says this, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. God is going you are going to face good times and bad, and it's not a mystery to God when you're facing rough times. In Ecclesiastes 11, he says this, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness for there will be many. Let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Solomon's a bright and cheery guy, isn't he? (laughs) Ecclesiastes, right? He says right after that, everything to come is meaningless. And if you've read Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books, actually, he constantly goes on and on. And what he's describing all through the book of Ecclesiastes is the fall, right? Solomon, in his amazing wisdom, is seeing the fall, and he's saying, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, And the fault, the world is broken. The world is a messed up place. But God is on the throne, and he's called us to live in it and to equip our kids to deal with these things. Our role is to coach our kids to go through trouble, not to deliver them from trouble. That's really where I want to go today. Our role is to coach them through trouble and not deliver them from trouble. And most of the time, uh, where I'm going to go with... uh, this is that it's a matter of truth or perspective. Generally, it was where we kind of mess up. It's a matter of truth or perspective. Now, let's talk about truth first. Um, it's inter- let's say your child has a conflict with someone on the playground. We'll call that person Billy, and Billy is calling your child stupid. Now, if you're I, I, my kids are in PCS here at Perimeter, and so parents are real involved, and we come to E-Days and do these things. So if I'm on the playground and Billy calls Sally stupid, okay, what, what is my general response going to be? I'm going to call Billy over, right? I'm going to straighten that kid out, especially if Sally's my kid. I'm going to call him over, and I want to say, hey, Billy, you, you know, why did you call her stupid? And, you know, and, and you're going to do all that. Now, what is the benefit from that? There's, there's some good things that come out of that, right? Your uh, Billy has been corrected. You've been a part of the sanctifying process in Billy's life, right? Pointing out the error of his ways. Uh, Sally may feel like you are coming to her to, her, to be her protector so, and, and that you're going you're gonna to help. But I want us to consider maybe um, there's a different way. What if instead of dealing with Billy... And I, I, by the way, I do think that's an appropriate response in that situation, but I wouldn't stop there. Do we then take Sally aside, and, or even before we talk to Billy, say, well, are you stupid? Now that can sound mean at first, but hopefully it gives you an opportunity to say, what is true about who you are? Are you stupid? And usually your son or daughter will be like, no, I'm not stupid well, then why does that bother you? You're they're, they're saying something that is clearly untrue about who you are. And if what they're saying isn't true, can can that hurt you? Is the power of it? Now, certainly it does hurt, right, in a way. But there is a sense in which if we know the truth, the truth does set us free. If you know what's true about yourself, there is incredible freedom in that, that comes from that. And you can't be hurt by that. I think this example is made really well in a book by Max Licato called uh, You Are Special. Many of you may be familiar with this book. If you're not, you should read it because it's amazing, and you should read it even as a grown-up because it's, it's an incredible book. Uh, what he says in this book is he starts out and he describes a, a place where there are these wooden people called Wimmicks. and there is a woodcarver named Eli, and he created each one of the Wimmicks. And they live in a little village down at the bottom of the hill, and the woodcarver lives on top of the hill. And the wimmicks, as they interact and live a happy life, they have this habit of doing something. They have stickers, boxes of stickers, stars and gray dots. And when they see a wimmick doing something great, like jumping really high or singing, or if the wimmick's just pretty, they put a gold star sticker on the wimmick. And if a wimmick does something they don't like, maybe they look old or their paint is peeling or they can't jump very high or they can't sing very well, they put a gray dot on them. Now, you see where he's going with this story, right? He's, that's how we live our life. All of life, people are putting gold stars on you or gray dots because that's the man-centered kind of approach. Now, he gets to the point in the book where this Punchinella is the main character of the book, and he sees a wimmick that doesn't have any stickers on her. She has no gold stars or gray dots. And he's blown away because Punchinella is not a very good wooden person. He's covered with gray dots. And he sees this girl with nothing, and he's like, I want to have no stickers on me. And so he asks her, how did you do that? And she said, well, I go talk to Eli, the woodcarver, every day. And, and he says, well, I, I, she said, you just need to go talk to him. So I'm picking up the book where he goes in to talk to the woodcarver. He goes in, and he gets a little bit scared because everything's so big and giant, and he's just a little wooden guy, and he's about to leave. He says, I'm not staying here. He gets scared, and he turns to leave, and then he heard his name, Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little wimmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm. The maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or gray dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? And Eli looked at Punchinello, but put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and he spoke very slowly, Because you are mine. That is why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker, and he didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly, because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them what? The stickers only stick if, it, if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Remember, Eli said as the women walked out the door, you are special because I made you. And I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart, he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, one of the dots fell off him to the ground. Now, I don't know about you, I love that story. It's amazing, and it's an amazing truth that we have to be reminded of over and over again That when we know who we are in Christ, it makes a difference. It makes a difference about how we receive these things and and the kinds of things that we are dealing with on a regular basis. Um, As a parent, we get to take the role of Eli. We get to be the hands and feet of Christ as we minister to our child. When they walk in the door at the end of the day, and maybe they're covered with gray dots or maybe they're covered with gold stars, either one can be damaging. Right, and we have to enter into that with them, and help them to see how God made it. See, neither one of those situations is good. I told a story, uh, I think, last time. My son Jace, uh, he's he's twelve, and he had the winning shot in a basketball game, and he was on top of the world. And I, you know, so he was getting lots of gold stars. Right, right after that game, and I remember saying to him, "Hey, this is awesome, but just know that when you make the winning shot." You might also miss the winning shot in a game. And how are you going to feel then? Like your worth doesn't come from whether you make or miss the shot. Right? That's not how that's not where it comes from. And it was really funny because the very next week he had a game where he tried to cover a guy who was way taller than him and the other guy ended up winning the game because Jace just couldn't cover him. And he won the game for the other team and Jace, you know, felt like he had the gray dots all over him the next week. And I was really glad I had kind of just cautioned him about the possibility of that happening. And that's what happened. And so thinking about that, we also, we don't want to be the ones who are the ones who are dispensing the stars and the dots, right? It's easy to think about, uh, we definitely don't want to be the ones doing the the, the gray dots, right? Just constantly criticizing is what Cammy was talking about, constantly criticizing and beating our kids down. But at the same time, if we give them stars all the time, what's going to happen when they start to get gray dots and they don't, they don't know how to handle that, okay, if, if the stars are not warranted, right, if, if we're just trying to, to build them up? Um, a friend of mine, Alfred, uh, says said this to me. He was telling me a story about one of his kids, and he said, told them family membership has its privileges, and he reminds his kids of that. And he said, but it's interesting, you didn't do anything to be in the family. So he he, he tells him, it's great to be in the family and it has privileges, but you were born into this family. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You can't earn it. Punchinello was created by the creator and he made him the way that he was and he had membership and he had uh, ownership of him regardless of what Punchinello did or didn't do. So it is important that we know the truth and the truth is what sets us free. Um, you see the difference in the two situations, right? You can deal with Billy or you can deal with Sally's heart and equip Sally that she can deal with every Billy from then on if she knows who she is. And that's really the goal of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, the key is to teach them to turn to Christ with their pain and with their trouble and their hardship. He will fight for them and he will be their deliverer. And that tests us. And tries our faith, right? Do we really believe that he will show up for them, or that we need to jump in and do that now, Another thing that can happen is it can be a matter of perspective. Do they have a spiritual or an earthly perspective, right? We dealt with truth, but then sometimes there's perspective. Uh, I just shared this illustration with a group of students on our fall retreat, but let's say okay let's let's deal with uh, with this idea of Your son or daughter now is a teenager and they get their first job, or maybe second or third job, doesn't matter, but they have a job and they, uh, let's say they work at Sonic, right? I like to go there. They have fried cheesecake bites right now, really good. So you go to Sonic and they work at Sonic and they have a horrible boss who is mean to them and who is an ogre and who is not fun to deal with. Now, again, as a parent, A lot of what we want to do sometimes is we want to call the boss and say, stop being mean to my kid, or we want to intervene on their behalf. But how teaching and coaching our child in how to deal with the boss, and and if you look at it from a fleshly or earthly perspective, how are you going to deal with that boss? Your son or daughter might come late to work because they're dreading being around this guy. Uh, They're not going to go the extra mile for him or her, right? They're going to show up late or they're going to miss their shift. Or they're going to trade shifts whenever they can. And, you know, they're likely to do as little as possible. And as soon as they can, they're likely to look for another job and escape. And that is a normal response to a bad boss, especially if you're a teenager. And you might be a little on the irresponsible side, right? Now, what if you look at this in a different perspective, in a spiritual perspective? When you have a boss like this, the first thing we should think of is, Why did God put this boss in my life? Now, that's a completely, that one question changes everything, doesn't it? You don't look now at this is some situation that I just have to deal with. You look at God being the one who is in charge of everything in your life, and you say, God has put this boss, or maybe it's a mean teacher, right, that they have to deal with, or an inept teacher, or a a coach who yells. You know, you can insert whatever. Why is this person, this authority figure, in my life? Okay, and that question changes everything. Uh, Maybe God put this person in my life to teach me things, to shape me, to work on my character. Maybe that's why this person is in my life. Maybe this person is in my life because they're lost, and I'm here to minister to them. Maybe they're elect, and God is using me to bring them into the kingdom of God. And the reason that I'm in this job is my job is to witness to them. God is going to use me to to reach him. Maybe now, how will I change my behavior based on that? Do you show up late and trade shifts if you look at it from that perspective, from a spiritual perspective instead of a fleshly perspective? No, you show up early, right? You're going to show up early and you're going to work late. If, if he calls you and says, hey, somebody didn't show up, are you likely to blow him off? Or are you likely to say, no, I, how can I get in? I'll, I'll change my schedule to get in there and work. Are you going to try to draw him out and pursue his heart? Hey, I notice, you know, it, what's going on in your life? What, what, start to draw them out. Start to ask them questions. Start to care about who they are as a person. See, it's a completely different thing when you look at it from a spiritual perspective instead of an earthly perspective. And I listen for what's going on knowing that he can't help it because he's broken. He can't help it because he doesn't have the Lord. And I have pity and I have mercy for him in his life situation. And I want to know and I want to help because I know the solution. And that changes everything for the way that I deal with him, okay? Um, You can apply this same situation in bullying, right? Now, bullying... Can be cyberbullying, right? It can be something online. It can be it can be in that kind of situation, mean girl stuff. How you want to intervene when this happens to your child? But the question that I have, and I'm not saying that there aren't times for intervening. There are times when your child gets embroiled in something where you're like, you know what, we might need to change schools. But I want to I want you to ask this question. Hey, maybe. And I've seen this again. Part of the reason I want to share what I see to you guys is I see parents rescue children from a a mean girl or, or guy situation and change Boy Scout troops, change schools, change all this stuff. And sometimes it's almost at the very end of the conflict. Like they've gone through the worst part of it, and the character's being shaped and built, and the child's being molded, and he's just about ready to come out the other end, and then they switch schools. I've seen it a lot. And I'm not saying that it's not appropriate to switch schools, sometimes it is. But we need to ask the question, hey, the question that is good for us to ask ourselves is, does God usually do most of his work when things are good in our lives? Is his sanctifying and his shaping really happening in me when life is good and everything's awesome and I have plenty of money and I have plenty of friends and I feel popular And talented, is that when he does the shaping or does he do it when I sit the bench in sports? Is that more shaping than starting every game? Is it more shaping when I don't have a date to the prom? Is it more shaping when my boss is a jerk, right? All of those is where God is working in me and I have to rely on him and I grow so much more in the trials than I do in the good times, and so we need to caution ourselves to want to rescue them from the trial when really that's where the most work is taking place to shape their character, right, is, in the, is, is, is at that time. So it's a good question to ask ourselves. Let's look at Scripture in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. It says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, point out a few things in this passage that I think are interesting for us. First, don't be surprised when you face trials, right? He starts out right out of the gate. Don't be surprised when you face trials of many kinds. There's going to be, right? We talked about that in Ecclesiastes. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be dark days. Trials are tests. Every trial that we face, God is using it to test our faith. He's using it to shape us. He's using it. God doesn't waste any hardship that we go through in our lives. He uses them to shape us. When we suffer, We participate in the suffering of Christ. Now, it's interesting. He says here, that's if you're suffering for the sake of righteousness or as a Christian. If you're suffering because you're a murderer or a thief or a meddler, right? That's the terminology he uses. But if if your child is suffering because they're a jerk, you're not going to be blessed because of that. (laughs) That's a sanctifying thing that happens, right? And that happens. And they can learn from that even, right? You and I suffered because we were jerks. And we learn not to be jerks as a result, right? Or at least we hope we did. So that's a part of what takes place there. We don't, um, suffering is not outside the will of God. I really love that point in verse 19. He says, so then those who suffer according to God's will. That's what he says in verse 19. You're suffering according to the will of God. Should commit themselves to their creator. So what is our biblical response as we're training our kids? See, this stuff is counterintuitive when your child is in one of these situations, and we want to rush in and we want to protect them. We don't think about these these things, and these are from the teachings of of Christ, okay? Bless those who persecute you. Is that our first response to our kid? Hey, so, so so-and-so's calling you names or they called you out on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Bless those who persecute you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love your enemy. I love this next one. If you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even the unbelievers love those who love them? You see, trial and hardship, is the anvil on which the metal of your child's character is being shaped. Trial and hardship is the anvil on which your child's character is being shaped. But the thing is, God is the hammer. And we forget that. We forget that when they're going through something, he's using it to shape them. And each blow of the hammer is painful. But it's necessary if he's going to shape us into something that is useful for his kingdom work. And sometimes he might be shaping us for something that doesn't even bear fruit in this life. He might be shaping us even for the next life. It might be something that happens that we face later, but it will bring him glory. So the questions that I have is this. Do you trust God to deliver your child from the thing they're facing? Now, he may be using you as an instrument of deliverance, right? I'm not saying that you are not ever called to do that. Um, You you know, if a bus is coming at your kid and they're in the street, you might be the one. He's calling to run and push him out of the way, okay? But if you're always the one who goes in and pushes them out of the way, then that's going to be a full-time job until they're like 50, and you're going to, I've got, again, I talked to another guy who was telling me this week, uh, a girl who just graduated from college, and all of her friends are being supported by their parents. They're paying for stuff well into their late 20s, paying and supporting their kids all the way through because their kids haven't learned how to deal with the trials that they face. They haven't learned even the financial trials, right, and just, and, and taking care of them, um, so many stories in the Bible are about God's people trusting in God to deliver them from their enemies and not in doing it themselves. And that's the thing, constantly taking our kids and turning them towards Christ. When they're facing something, the first question should be, well, what, what, what does God want you to do about this? How is God going to show up in this situation? How is God using this? Why is God allowing this? Turning them to Jesus, no matter what they're facing. This is an opportunity for them to build faith and wisdom. It's an opportunity for them to build discernment. It's an opportunity for us to instruct when these things happen. Um, I want to encourage you with this and close with this from Psalm 34, starting in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them, and he delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He protects all his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, and the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. We have to believe that. We have to believe this for ourselves, and we have to believe it for our kids. All right? Let me pray, and we'll close up. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. I thank you for each one of these parents. And Lord, parenting is hard, and it's difficult. And I think I have made my daughter cry a couple times at least since uh, the last parent you. And... Lord, I pray that you will help us to be agents of encouragement to our kids and instructing, but constantly, Lord, that we're calling out the glory of who they are in you. That we are helping them when they're discouraged, that we're rebuking them when they sin. But Lord, help us to help them to know the truth of who they are in Christ and to have the perspective that they see things from your point of view, from a spiritual perspective, and not from a fleshly one. Because the way that we see things and knowing the knowledge of who you are and how you made the world and who we are in Jesus changes everything, and it does set us free. Lord, you did say we'll have trouble in this life, and our kids are going to face a lot of difficulty, just as we have and we will. Help us to walk through that with them and constantly turn them to you in the midst of it, and help us to turn to you and grow our faith, Lord, because our faith is too small. And we, at times, really, Lord, don't feel equipped. And at times, we doubt that you'll deliver them or us from the things that we're facing. So give us wisdom and grace. Help us to enjoy our kids, especially with Christmas coming up, Lord, and breaks. Many of us will be with our kids for several hours a day instead of just a short period of time. And help us to make the most of that time and enjoy uh, our time together as a family. All these things we pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you guys for coming. I always get nervous every week and every month. I'm like, well, no one's coming this week so or this month, so I appreciate that. We will start again in January um, and uh, probably go through, I think through May, and then we'll take a couple months break. So, um, And there is a parent you, the early years as well. Oh, we also have... A Facebook group, there's, I think, four whole people on our Parent U Facebook page. So if you'd like the page, I promise Cammie and I will try to post interesting books and articles and or uh, just things that will help you also to know what the next Parent U is going to be about. We'll usually do a little preview in there. Um, So I'm trying to get more diligent in Facebooking and Twitter. Um, I used to be on it a lot, but I'm not on as much now. The 12th. the 12th of January is our next one, because a lot of schools are out that first weekend in January, so we're not meeting the first weekend. It'll be January 12th. So, all right. Is there any questions or anything? Yes. Uh-huh. Right, right, yeah. And just for the sake of the, if everybody couldn't hear you, but you're saying that the bully often isn't sorry anyway, and so maybe, it, maybe it won't. Right. It might not have a sanctifying role in Billy's life. That's true. Um, but, but that's why. But often, and, and I think you guys can relate to this. You're dealing with your child, and you'll never see the other person they're dealing with, right? Especially in a high school situation or a junior high situation, maybe the conflict is with someone on sh- at school or on the playground, and you'll, you don't even know them. And our, our temptation is to immediately get on the phone and call the other parents. Uh, and I'm just trying to say, let's encourage, how do we, how do we deal, have our child equip them to deal with the situation itself? Any other comments or questions? Yes. Okay. A book and a rose. A little thirty minute film, A Book and a Rose by Max Licato on Netflix. It's available. Okay, thank you for that recommendation. Yes. right? Yeah, (laughs) you're getting into the, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Perimeter School, part of what they do, they call it well, the school's the fourth wall, but the parents are, are or we're the fourth wall. I don't remember which one's the fourth wall, but somebody's the fourth wall. And we're dealing with, uh, we're supposed to, it's called covenant phone calls, right? When you, when your child knows something or is dealing with something, uh, you call and intervene or make sure the other parents know. And, you know, that's a very difficult thing. I would say, I would really just try to pray through and have discernment going through that situation because, there are times when that's appropriate, um, and there are times, I, I guess I look at it as a maybe a both-and. I mean, I've I've never, I don't think I've ever done a covenant phone call, and I've been at the school for five or six years, so maybe I lean more towards the dealing with my child to deal with the situation, um, because I'm always thinking equipping. I mean, that is, if you come to Parent U every month, what you're going to hear from me is, I mean... It, we cover a different face, but we're constantly turning the same thing over and over again, like a jewel that has different angles. It's always equipping your kid. That's the level that I come from. And so, of course, I deal with kids who are about ready. I'm high school, almost ready to leave the home. So I'm very aware of that with the, the demographic I'm working with. And when they're little, it is different. You know, you're, you're, there's a lot more room for intervention, and, and calling the other parents is appropriate at times. But... Um, so I think that's, that's, that's a tough one. I, I can say this. I do think there are times when people are too quick to pick up the phone uh, at school, at our school in particular, um, because I've, we've dealt with situations in the student ministry where, you know, all, all hell's breaking loose with, with a kid and all these parents are involved and all this stuff, and it, it can make the situation worse even from a gossip perspective and things like that. Because a lot of, we got to check our heart at the door to make sure we're not sharing something. Oh, well, as a covenant parent, I need to, you know, when really you just want to talk about the situation and then that kind of can go out to all the families and then that, that just makes it worse. So uh, I, would, I would be careful about, about those types of things, especially if it's a, a sensitive issue. But that's a good question again, I'm more equipping than side. Any other question or comment? You guys are the experts too. Uh you know, you're I see I look around this room and see many parents who some kids are all, all your kids are in college or some of your many of your kids are in college and I want to learn from you and I constantly learn from you on a regular basis as well. And I appreciate what you do. So uh thanks. And there's still some donuts and coffee over here. And um we are dismissed. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website
1: at students for more information. Thank you.